0: Well, they were leaders among men appointed to represent the monarchy in Australia. And each week we're learning more about the lives and achievements of some of Australia's governors and governors general through the eyes of University of New England historians and some of the experts there. From Captain Arthur Phillip to Australia's first female appointments, we're finding out more about their lives and how they made their way in the new world. And uh, this week we're catching up with Dr Nathan Wise from the University of New England and talking about Governor Lachlan Macquarie. Good morning, Nathan. What do we know of his early life?
1: Lachlan Macquarie was born on the island of Ulva, uh, off the west coast of Scotland on the 31st of January, uh, 1761. Now, Ulva is a, a fairly small, rugged... Uh, scarcely populated island off the coast of Scotland. Now, for a man who would later become the governor of New South Wales, this was a a very humble beginning. Uh, We don't know too much about his early life, uh, don't know too much about his parents. We we think his father may have been either a carpenter or a miller, and he basically brought up his family in, in fairly modest circumstances.
0: And so how quickly and how early in his life did he join the militia?
1: Well, we, we, it's fairly certain that he left Oliver at the age of 14. Now, according to some sources, he uh, was briefly educated at the Royal High School in Edinburgh but We're not entirely sure if that's true or not because um, in the same year, in, in 1776, when at the age of 14, he also joined the military. Uh, so if he did go to high school, it was only very briefly before uh, joining the military. The following year, in 1777, he then gained an ensigncy in the, the 2nd Battalion of the 84th Regiment. Now, they were known as the Royal Highland Emigrants, and, and ensigncy was basically the first rank of a commissioned officer in the infantry. So this sort of began his career in the military.
0: Where did he see service?
1: Well this is a, a very busy time in the world. The the American War of Independence was in full swing and, and Macquarie was uh sent over to North America to support the British war effort. Uh he was first posted at uh, Nova Scotia, the island on the sort of the far right edge of of modern Canada. Uh, then he served as garrison duties in uh New York and Charleston. Uh, Later in the war, he was also posted to Jamaica, and then he he also later saw service in India and Egypt. So he he saw a lot of the world at the time.
0: So was he married around this time? What was going on romantically?
1: Yeah, he he (laughs) married in uh, 1793 when he was based in India. Uh, Basically, when he was in India, India, he met a wealthy West Indian heiress by the name of Jane Jarvis. Uh, She was a daughter of a, a former Chief Justice and they were married uh, fairly quickly in September 1793. Uh, over the next few years, Macquarie sort of remained in this military position around India uh, and so forth. He was very briefly appointed a, a governor of an area in 1796. However, at around the same time, he received news that, uh, that Jane was unwell. So he returned to Calicut to, to be with her and unfortunately died of uh, tuberculosis in July 1796. She was only 24 years old when she passed away.
0: Oh, how sad. Did he re- remarry quickly?
1: Uh, no, it took him some time. He, um, he did remarry. He remarried again uh, about 11 years later in 1807. And this time he married uh, his cousin, Elizabeth Henrietta Campbell. Now, of course, this is a different time with different customs. Uh, cousins <laughs> weren't as close as they are today, and of course, this wasn't frowned upon at the time. In fact, he'd only met Elizabeth, his cousin, uh, for the first time in the early 1800s when uh, Lachlan Macquarie was well into his 40s. So, they, yeah, cousins weren't very close back then.
0: <laughs> well, how soon though, around this time, was he appointed Governor of new South Wales yeah,
1: well, um, after the the rum rebellion, probably Bligh um, Macquarie was uh, appointed the fifth governor of, of New South Wales. Uh, the, the four previous governors before him had all been uh, naval officers, and Macquarie, of course, was an, an army commander, so the, uh, the government sort of broke a tradition in doing that. Uh, Macquarie was appointed in April 1809. He travelled to Australia at the head of his unit, the, the 73rd Regiment, uh, departing England in May 1809, and he arrived in Australia just before um, the new year on the 20th of December. He then took up his post on the, the first 1st of, of January in 1810.
0: And what was going on sort of in, in New South Wales when, when he arrived? The, the mess, was it over or was it still pretty messy after the uh, rebellion?
1: Yeah, still pretty messy. Basically, uh, to give some backstory, Bly had been the fourth governor of, of New South Wales from August 1806 to January 1808, so a fairly short period. Uh, much has been written on Bly, and, and historians take very different views on him on his character and his, his leadership style. Um, I think that he was a, a fairly... Um, a committed leader. He, he basically established his views and his policies and he didn't like to compromise on those. He wasn't necessarily, I don't think he was necessarily cruel or mean as some people have said, he was just uh, very determined and you, I guess you could say he was stubborn and essentially that, that determined nature came into conflict with some of the uh, the more relaxed attitudes of the colonists in New South Wales, uh, <laughs> in particular Bly quarrelled with uh, John MacArthur and he tried to have him charged mm. on a number of crimes and when the, the Corps sided with MacArthur on these issues, it led effectively to, to the rebellion and the overthrow of Bligh, and, and uh, the colony was placed under a sort of uh, temporary administration in the interim. Um, the New South Wales Corps was then, then recalled to England uh, and they were replaced by MacArthur and, and MacArthur's unit.
0: So where does he begin sort of the crackdown? How does he begin initially to address the problem? Well,
1: he was helped a lot by the fact that he was a military officer rather than a naval officer. And he was an officer of the military authority in the colony, the, the new 73rd Regiment being sent in to replace the, the Corps. And I think that's a really important point there. With this almost absolute authority, he set about restoring law and order uh, in the colony. By the time Macquarie arrived, the two key uh, leaders of the rebellion, John MacArthur and, and Major George Johnson, had already left um, the colony and were on the way to England. And that removed a large part of the problem for Macquarie. Uh, he also set about sort of establishing law and order, reverse a number of the decisions made by um, MacArthur and Johnson. Uh, but with those two men gone and the New South Wales Corps gone, the job was made a lot easier for Macquarie.
0: He's often referred to as an, an enlightened despot. What, what, what do people mean by that? Yeah, well,
1: uh, for a start, he's, he's pretty much, as I said, the absolute ruler of the colony. He didn't really have to answer to anybody, certainly not on the continent at least. But the second point there, the enlightened despot, he was influenced a lot by the Enlightenment in Europe at the time. Uh, the Enlightenment was, was essentially a strong uh, intellectual movement that sought to reform society, culture, Uh, and rethink the way people viewed each other in the world. It promoted basically a more tolerant, rational, uh, respectful outlook on the world, on human beings. So Macquarie it was influenced by the Enlightenment. He's been described as this enlightened despot because he was one of a number of rulers around the world, basically, who tried to promote a- enlightened thought and behaviour uh, in their their areas.
0: <laughs> what did he think of the convict situation? How how did he work or see rebuilding sort of that that population base with such so many convicts and I guess former convicts?
1: Yeah, this is a, this is I think a really critical issue for for Macquarie's rule. Uh, keep in mind that New South Wales was at the time he arrived still strictly considered. A Penal settlement. Convicts were, uh, I guess in a sense, the central administrative concern in the colony, what to do with all these convicts. But Macquarie's governorship also saw the beginning of a transition from New South Wales from from that traditional penal settlement to, I guess, a general settler settlement. Uh, Before leaving England, he received um, some orders, which I'll, I'll quote, the great objects of attention are to improve the morals of the colonists, to encourage marriage, to provide for education, to prohibit the use of spirituous liquors, to increase the agriculture and stock, so as to ensure the certainty of a full supply to the inhabitants under all circumstances. So they are the orders he was given. And we can see there that the focus is on the social improvements in the colony. Uh, as evidence of uh, Macquarie's thought, he promoted what I guess we could call uh, the sort of social and cultural rehabilitation of the convicts. He, he not only encouraged and promoted uh, emancipation and the pardoning of convicts, but he also supported the uh, the engagement of ex-convicts and emancipists in the, the social and economic affairs of the colony. Uh, at the time of his arrival in 1809 and 1810, ex-convicts or emancipists outnumbered free settlers, but they were considered by many uh, of these settlers as sort of a subclass, sort of second-class citizen. They were refused employment, for example, by free settlers, and they weren't very well respected in the colony. Of course, in Enlightened Macquarie tried to change all that. He, he personally employed a range of uh, emancipists to actually work for him, uh, including, of course, the famous colonial architect Francis Greenway, which many people know, may know, uh, the colonial surgeon Dr William Redfern, and some magistrates, for example, Simeon Lord and, and Andrew Thompson.
0: Nathan, do we know why he had this sort of different view of the convicts and had a more egalitarian sense of community?
1: I mean, it's it's difficult to pinpoint. Again, we, we don't know much about his education. He wasn't um, highly educated. He went pretty much straight into the military and received what we could call a military education. Having said that, he did travel a lot around the world. He experienced different people, different cultures. Um again he was influenced by um the the enlightenment the enlightenment thinking so he may have read widely at the time um and again experienced what he experienced in in north america in in the caribbean and in uh in india and egypt maybe those life experience shaped his his outlook towards towards people and towards humanity i guess
0: where did he start off with things like currency and farming activities
1: yeah he he did a fair bit in these areas um In terms of currency, when he arrived, there was a range of uh, international coins circulating throughout the colony. This made trade uh, somewhat problematic with all these different currencies going around. To resolve that, he he purchased about 40,000 Spanish dollar coins and he had another convicted forger cut the centres out. So again, he's promoting the work of convicts. (laughs) The result of that was, of course, the famous holy dollar, a a coin with a hole in the middle. The the holy dollar became uh, a five-shilling piece and the centre that was punched out, uh, which was known as a dump, was at the time valued at 15 pence, and that basically became the, the currency of the colony. He was also, uh, as I said, ordered to sort of increase uh, the agriculture and pastoral activities, and, and this is, I think, one of his biggest challenges. I mean, ever since the First Fleet had arrived, they'd, they'd struggled with food production uh, in the colony. They, they failed to understand the land and the climate, and, and the colony's uh, pastoral activities struggled as a result. To partially help address this, Macquarie um, did a lot to encourage uh, exploration and expansion of, of farming activities uh, in the colony. He sent, for example, uh, Blackson, Lawson and Wentworth across the Blue Mountains in 1813, and he also personally travelled on the new road across the Blue Mountains and uh, selected, for example, the site of Bathurst. He also uh, encouraged exploration and expansion in, in new areas of the colony as well, uh, along the coast, which s- subsequently increased these, these pastoral activities.
0: He's often referred to as a a great builder of the nation, but he he kind of designed the layout of Sydney. Did he base it on anything?
1: Uh, I'm not sure what he based it on, but he he did a heck of a lot within Sydney and and again across the the colony in building new roads and hospitals. Uh, He planned uh, new streets, uh, redesigned the streets of of central Sydney and the layout. Of, of central Sydney, uh, and again he utilised that the expertise of of ex convicts emancipists. Uh, <laughs> as I said, Francis Greenway, he, he basically transformed Sydney into a, a more attractive place. Uh, I think by the time he left office in eighteen twenty one, he'd only overseen the development of something like two hundred and sixty five public works, including uh, barracks such as the Hyde Park Barracks, um, new, new roads and streets like Macquarie Street in Sydney, uh, hospitals, including the the beginning of, of Sydney Hospital, and a range of other works that still have. Uh, great significance and, and still stand uh, today.
0: <laughs> Not many politicians could lay claim to that yeah. now, could they? What, was he one of the first people to celebrate Australia Day on the 26th of January?
1: Uh, sort of. He was the first to host official celebrations on the day in uh, 1818. He, he basically declared a, a holiday for, for government works. Uh, he gave some rations out and he ordered a, a 30-gun salute to mark the 30th anniversary of the colony. Um, but keep in mind also the, the day had been celebrated by colonists For, for many years in, in New South Wales Macquarie simply I guess, officially recognise the day as important for all the colonists.
0: We're talking to Dr Nathan Wise from the University of New England as we continue our series on Australia's Governors and Governor-General. Uh, this Today, we're finding out about Governor Lachlan Macquarie. So with all the work he was doing with the convicts, Nathan, what did the free settlers think of him? <laughs> they,
1: they, they didn't like him very much. Uh, basically, Macquarie had these, these very pro-emancipist uh, views. He, he wanted settlers and ex-convicts, the emancipists, to be treated equally, uh, to view each other equally. And while the settlers didn't like that very much they felt uh, the settlers felt superior to the ex-convicts and, and keep in mind that many of those ex-convicts used to work for the settlers and now suddenly uh, the settlers were expected <laughs> to treat them as equals so they didn't like it very much um, they resented Macquarie basically for attempting to to force these these social and cultural attitudes onto them and of course there were some powerful and uh, vocal and influential settlers in the colony. And so back in England, Macquarie's reputation was being tarnished by these settlers who, who spoke poorly of him.
0: How serious was that, the impact on him? Were they trying to see him removed as governor?
1: Yeah, yeah, basically uh, there was a, a bit of a, a campaign going on by the colonists and again by some politicians back in England to have him removed uh, as governor. I think the pressure of politics in the colony uh, eventually got too much for him. Uh, he tried... I think as a result of those those pressures and those criticisms, he tried to resign several times, Uh, the first time in December 1817 and again, I believe, in 1818, but both times his uh, applications were rejected.
0: Okay. so when did he finally leave?
1: Well, at the height of this sort of political uh, d- debate in eighteen nineteen John Big was commissioned to investigate the state of the colony now This was, this was partly a review to determine whether or not transportation was a, a suitable deterrent to crime, but it was also partly to investigate those complaints, the colonists' complaints against Macquarie. Big basically uh, supported the views of the colonists. He took the colonists, the free settlers' Mm. side. Uh, He was quite critical of Macquarie. Uh, Big believed that Macquarie should have done more to support the the free settlement. Um, He should concern himself less with the issues of the convicts. And it was whilst Big was in Australia that Macquarie learnt that his third and final application for resignation had been accepted. Mm. However, the, the authorities didn't actually let him leave his position until November 1821.
0: How did he feel about that? Have he felt, did he feel like he had put all this work in and to be sort of disrespected towards the end? Was...
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, he, he transformed the colony in, in 10, 11 short years, um, again, from the disorder of, of 1809 and, and the Rum Rebellion to to undertake these, these public works, to sort of reform the, the social and cultural attitudes of the, the colonists and the emancipists. Um, I think he was he definitely um, underappreciated
0: at the time. <laughs> what did he do then?
1: Well, he finally left Australia in, in February 1822 and he returned initially to Scotland for a little bit, back to his, his home area. Then he, he travelled to London where he tried to defend uh, against the accusations raised against him by supporters of those, those settlers in Australia, in particular John MacArthur. By this stage, though, he's, he's well into his 60s, and he also spent some time, I think, in uh, around 1823, uh, travelling around Europe with his family.
0: How much longer did he live for? Was he, was he healthy f- into his, his latter no, years?
1: No, he'd been quite sick for the last few years. Um, he eventually died on the 1st of July, 1824, age 62. Um, basically, he, he once again returned to London to um, try and secure his pension, which had been promised to him, but unfortunately he died before receiving this, and he was, he was buried back close to his home in Scotland, uh, in a mausoleum on the island of Mull, which is basically right next to uh, Olver, so close to his, his home area.
0: And who administers the grave? or Is it, is it a well-known spot, well-marked?
1: I'm not sure. I, I haven't actually seen the grave, but it's administered by the National Trust of Australia. Basically, um, uh, when Macquarie died, he had a poor reputation amongst the settlers uh, and amongst politicians in Great Britain. Uh, he, of course, died right at the time when that, that critical big report was being circulated uh, in England. And as I've mentioned, that was very critical of Macquarie. However, in Australia, the Emancipists, the, the ex-convicts, loved him. And for the next few decades, up until the gold rushes, the Emancipists would form uh, the largest population, but not block in Australia, and they did much to help uh, restore and promote uh, Macquarie's good name.
0: How is he remembered? What has been named after him? I sort of think, what hasn't been named after Macquarie, really,
1: so much? Yeah, well, just take a drive around Sydney, and you'll see uh, Macquarie this and Macquarie that. Um, Just to name a few, there's, for example, Macquarie Street, Macquarie Place, uh, there's Macquarie Lighthouse, uh, Macquarie Fields, the suburb, Macquarie University, that's all just in Sydney. Uh, Elsewhere in New South Wales, there's there's Lake Macquarie, of course, Um, the Macquarie River, and both the Lachlan River are named after him. And the list goes on, indeed across Australia. Uh, Elizabeth Macquarie um, was also a personality in the colony and she also had a number of things named after her, including, of course, Elizabeth Street in Sydney, uh, Mrs Macquarie's chair, and her maiden name was Campbell and she had Campbelltown named after her in, in 1820. That's just a fairly short list of, of, of many, here. Yeah. Well,
0: of the many things. So what is his legacy? How do you think he should be remembered? Uh, For me, I think one of his his
1: lasting legacies is the way he, uh, in small ways throughout his his governorship, promoted a a more uh, egalitarian society in the colony. He encouraged settlers and emancipists to to view each other as equals, uh, and he he led by example uh, in that regard. He was, of course, Australia's uh, longest-serving governor, so he had a great opportunity to to do so at the time. Uh, Whilst the settlers may have not liked it very much, I think the changes that uh, we, we see under Macquarie remained within Australia and within uh, Australian sentiment. So he had, he had a big impact on Australian society and culture and, and that development of an Australian way of thinking. Beyond that, of course, as we've discussed, he, he oversaw a range of developments in Sydney, like roads, schools, hospitals... Uh, And as I said, many of these are still very visible uh, around New South Wales today. So he he also physically transformed uh, not only Sydney, but New South Wales, um, the colony in in general, all along the coast. I mean, they're they're quite remarkable achievements, given that he was sent in again after that rebellion, uh, really to take over this unruly colony. And then within 10 years, he's immensely transformed it uh, very successfully. Um, one final note also, the, the Macquarie formally adopted the name of Australia for the continent. This was the name proposed by, by Matthew Flinders and for this Macquarie is often referred to as, as the father of Australia.